Rising is cultivating community through conversations. We are integrating innovative ideas, relationships, and connections while raising creativity and collaboration. Today on Common Roots Rising, we're talking with Anna Caesar from Golden Sands Resource Conservation and Development Council. Anna is the Regional Aquatic Invasive Species Coordinator for Washera, Wapaka, Marquette, and Green Lake counties. Anna, can you tell me, what does an Aquatic Invasive Species Coordinator do? Hi, Mark. Yeah, so what an Aquatic Invasive Species Coordinator does, at least with Golden Sands, is that we work with the community um, to offer outreach and education about aquatic invasive species to help folks have an understanding about what aquatic invasive species are, um, maybe help them identify uh, some invasive species that are in their lakes, rivers, or wetlands, and then um, help them understand how we can prevent the spread of these invasive species throughout our waterways here in Wisconsin and across the United States. So I understand from looking at your at the Golden Sands website that you have a degree in environmental science with a minor in chemistry. So why did you go to school for environmental science? That is a fantastic question. Um, so growing up, I was an outdoors child. We did everything outdoors, camping, um, all that fun stuff. I went to college and had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. Um, After I graduated, I actually went into college undecided. Um, And when um, I went to Carroll University, it's a liberal arts school, you have to take a variety of classes. Um, And I ended up taking an environmental science 101 class. And I just remember my sophomore year going, I really love the outdoors. Why don't I get a degree in something that I have a passion for? and then be able to use that um, for good, so to speak, um, after I graduate. So I got a very general environmental science degree and that's kind of taken me a few different places since I graduated. Oh, that's awesome. I actually started college for fisheries management at UW-Stevens Point back in the 80s, and sometimes I wish I would have continued. I got talked into uh, becoming a business major as a... Um, sophomore and then pursued a career in business so now all of my all these connections I'm making with Golden Sands is bringing me back into the conservation realm so I think that's maybe why I've been chatting with with you and Hannah and and Rachel and Asa so much is because I'm interested in um, giving people in the community a little bit more awareness uh, of what you guys do so can you tell me what attracted you to your role as an aquatic invasive species coordinator with Golden Sands? Golden Sands is actually my second place of employment since I graduated college. And prior to working with Golden Sands, I actually worked for a regional planning commission. And we did a lot more with the community for people who wanted to have lake management plans done. So when I first got out of college, it was working with lakes who wanted new aquatic plant management plans done, lake management plans done, and we would go do the field work and then we'd write these plans with um, management recommendations for their lakes or their watersheds. And I enjoyed that, but I kind of went, you know, I'm 22. I don't want to be stuck in an office right now. I want to be out in the field. I want to get my hands and feet dirty Um, And I also recognize that while those plans and the people to write those plans are needed for these lake groups, I really wanted to be more a part of something where I got to establish relationships with people and help them see a project from start to finish. Um, So for about four years ago now, I saw an opening for Golden Sands for an aquatic invasive species coordinator, and I kind of figured... It's up my alley for a lot of reasons. One, I like the outdoors and I was living in the suburbs of Milwaukee. It's not my cup of tea, personally. So it got me further north in the state, but also I got to create partnerships and relationships with people all across central Wisconsin, Um, people I work with from year to year, and I can help them understand what's going on with their lake, what's going on with their 
Eurasian water milfoil that they've had for the last few years, and I can kind of help them through the process of what should we be doing? How can we manage it? Even though my position isn't management focused, I have the resources and the network to put them in touch with other people. Maybe it's the DNR, maybe it's their land conservation office, um, and really just be a working partner for the community. And that's that's what I really love about this position, and that's what really drew me to working with Golden Sands. So your, your role is doing a lot of, well, it says coordinator, but a lot of connecting people and resources and rather than like directly managing maybe a lake or a watershed. Is that true? Yeah, I'd say that's a very accurate statement. Um, you know, our position as coordinator, so to speak, is really to be the professional um, on the landscape that says, you know, hey, you guys are concerned about maybe um, something coming into your lake. Well, what can we do? We could work with you to have a volunteer clean boats, clean waters program. Um, maybe, you know, you're concerned about, well, we haven't had anybody on the water in a while. We can offer some early detection monitoring surveys of their lakes and things like that. Um, but then because we are the face that's kind of out on the landscape more frequently than say, for example, um, DNR, who is spread so thin across these extremely large territories. I know our lakes biologists cover sometimes upwards of 12 counties individually um, that we're able to kind of be that mediator for the people. Um, you know, maybe it's a simple question we can answer on their behalf. Maybe it's something more complicated and we can put them in direct contact with the person who can answer their question versus maybe sending a general question to the DNR help email, and then it kind of taking a while to get to the right place. So um, coordinating efforts, prevention and outreach efforts is kind of our number one thing. But because we are this 12 county region um, with Golden Sands, we have the ability to kind of cross those county boundaries and work for the communities wherever they lay um, and fall within the state. You mentioned that you wanted, you were working more in the office in your previous role, your previous job. So can you tell me about how you're able to get out in the field in your current role, role as an aquatic invasive species coordinator with Golden Sands? Or maybe it's not in the field, maybe it's out in the water is what I should be saying to you, right? Well, not in the field. Yes, I suppose. <laughs> um, I mean, we still call it field work because we're not in the office, but I guess technically you could call it uh, lake work or kayak work. Um, typically what a season looks like, at least what we would call quote unquote field season, or maybe what we'll start calling a lake season, um, is really, and this year is a great example. I mean, we're sitting here, it's, you know, April 7th and it's 70 plus degrees outside. Um, Tomorrow, I'm going out to put on some chest waders and get in a wetland and dig some invasive purple loosestrife. Uh, we have a biocontrol program, and we work with volunteers to raise these beetles that solely feed on this invasive wetland plant to help create that balance in our wetland communities. Um, so we kind of get started early in the spring, um, but as far as our really... Um, more, I guess I'd call it hardcore field season. Um, our protocols usually start for June 15th start date. We start getting out on the water a little bit more because that's typically when we see all of our aquatic plants starting to come up in our lakes and rivers. Um, and we'll, I think the last couple of years, I'm out on the water at least three days a week, sometimes four or five days a week. And we're out um, most of the times it's looking for any new invasive species that might have found its way to a water body. Um, other times it's there's a handful of lakes that have been working on managing, excuse me, Eurasian water milfoil for the last few years. And they say, hey, we haven't had it mapped in a while. Can you come out and map the population? So we know, are we making progress with our management or do we need to look at changing what we're doing because it's not as effective as it should be? Um, so sometimes it's mapping existing populations. Sometimes it's getting eyes out on the water to see if we're finding new things. Um, 
And then there's a little bit that we get to do later in the season where we actually um, look at all of the plants in a lake. Um, so if there's a, there's a handful of lakes that maybe found a new invasive species and we really want to get a detailed um, quantitative idea of how much of this, maybe it's Eurasian water milfoil, maybe it's curly leaf pondweed is in the lake. Um, and we do a whole lake um, survey and we're looking at all of the plants and bases and natives. We get a really good representation of what's going on in that lake. Um, so we get to do some of those as well. And that's a little bit of a bigger project. So typically I'm in my kayak at least three days a week from about June through August. So it's quite a field season. Yeah, so I, I was going to ask you um, how you do that, but you just said you you go you do it with a kayak. We do. Um, we don't. Golden Sands doesn't own a motorboat. That's kind of not really an issue because kayaks give us the ability to just get up and go um, at any given time. We don't have to worry because we do service. Um, as of 2021 anyway, a nine county area. So for me and my coworker Chris to share one motorboat doesn't really work when we can split and cover more territory. And really we can do just as much work out of our kayaks. Sometimes it gives us a little bit more flexibility because when we think of some flowages or mill ponds that really are dense with aquatic plants that come right up to the water surface, we're able to maybe it's a bit of an arm workout. Um, it's, a, it's a little bit of a full body workout, um, but we can get through all of that and really get an idea of what's there where sometimes if you're in a boat, you know, the motor just has a hard time cutting through those plants and, and making that progress. So it's, it's, yeah. it's a fun, good workout over the summer. Yeah. And when you're in a, um, some of these, um, because in basically what you're talking about in aquatic invasive species, you're you're looking at uh, it, well the plants and and the animals that are growing in these lakes, and you're typically exploring the shallower waters where you can see these plants and, and right. So you guys, you can you can definitely get in a lot closer. I have a small fleet of kayaks, and I I, I love. That's one of my favorite favorite things. It's actually the reason, one of the main reasons that drew me to to move over here um, to Wapaka County from from the Fox Cities is because I love the water over here and uh, and you know how clear it was and all the little bodies of water that I could explore with my paddle craft that I I get to choose. Um, so. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so are so when you're typically out there in your kayak, are you all by yourself, or do you have a team that you go out there out with? So it kind of depends. Um, sometimes we're out there by ourselves. Uh, we typically do have a summer field technician that assists us for the summer. Um, there are certain projects that it's just easier to have two people on the water for. Um, whenever we do any type of river-related work, it's always nice to have a second person. Um, one, you're usually traveling, so it's nice to have a vehicle for at the beginning of the point and your end, and your end point. Um, but also it's just nice to be able to have more eyes out on the water when you're looking for anything that might be new. Um, but there's plenty of work that we do that it's, you know, totally doable um, as solo um, this year, um, Chris and I, my coworker, um, will be ha will have one field technician between the two of us, and um, we'll kind of divide and conquer that way this year. So, um, yeah. I I don't know. To me, I, I love kayaking. I I, I used to work a, 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 an internet job that had a lot of flexibility, and I, I could when I, this a few years, just a few years back, and I got really into kayaking, and then when I was, wanted to get off the computer, I'd go out right in the middle of the day and take a little break and go out for a couple hours and paddle around, and this was at either the Wolf River or a small lake where mm -hmm. we had, close to where my, I was living at that point. So, I mean, I think it's, I think it sounds like a pretty cool cool thing, although you, you, I would imagine you have to be very concerned about, about sunburn because being in the kayak that much there's a whole nother level of of yeah i i have experienced that so um well i will say um i'm very happy with the kayak that i have you don't want to just go out in any old kayak for how much time you sit out there but there are definite moments throughout the work week where you just kind of sit back and you look out 
you know, at the lake you're on or the river you're on and just go, oh my gosh, I have the best job in the world. Like my office is this beautiful lake. Um, at the same time, when you're out on lake four, seven, eight hours a day and you're out in the middle of the lake, so you have no shade <laughs> and it's 80 plus degrees and hot and sunny and humid. Um, yeah, you definitely, we make sure that, you know, you've got lightweight long sleeves and towels to throw over your legs and hats and I carry multiple kinds of sunscreen and lots of water um, but it's it's something you can't take for granted at the same time because we get to cover a lot of water throughout central Wisconsin and we get to see a lot of central Wisconsin's natural beauty. Yeah yeah and, and it's really amazing I've I've already been out with my uh, I have a solo canoe that I, I I love to get out with, and I've been out twice already um, this this year because it's like you can't not go when the white ice goes out. Um, so let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, in uh, the other week when I interviewed Hannah, she was, and Hannah is the executive director of Golden Sands. She was talking to me about your four primary primary focuses uh, at Golden Sands. And one of them is clean water as a primary focus. So can you tell me why is clean water important here in Wisconsin? Certainly. I mean, I think when we all look back, you know, on our memories as adults or children, I think a lot of times our memories are attached to, you know, maybe it was a day swimming um, going out on different lakes, fishing or whatever it might be. So I think, clean water has a lot of value no matter how you look at it. Sometimes it's your recreational purposes. A lot of people love to fish throughout the Midwest. Um, a lot of people, you know, water skiing and tubing. So I think first, you know, and foremost, maybe, maybe not foremost, but I think usually maybe the first thing that triggers people are their memories that are associated to water. Um, secondly, clean water. I mean, we all need water to survive. Um, that kind of starts with, you know, clean waters in our surface waters. You know, that not to get all science in the and stuff, but I mean, whatever clean water we have on the surface filters into our groundwater, which we're all drinking and we all rely on. So um, clean water is extremely important for us recreationally, for us, you know, physically. Um, and I mean, I know on a long day, you know, obviously I work on the water, but if it's been a long week to get out in nature, to be on the water, it, I just also think to be able to have that natural outlook, you know, is really calming and soothing to us as people. Um, and to have that clean water where you can go and just go, gosh, it's crystal blue water, you know, and just be able to really take it in. Um, I think that does a lot for us um, emotionally as well. So I think water as a resource hits on so many vital aspects to us as, as human beings. So if we can, uh, you're already kind of going there with this, with this next question that I'm going to ask you. So if we dream a little bit together and, and you as a, aquatic invasive species clean water specialist in the river of your mind or the lake of your mind what does a more beautiful river or lake look like from this more beautiful not having invasive species what does that what is that what is that what could that what can that look like if we all do a better job you know my mind goes in so many different directions. I mean, and not to get like too technical. I mean, every kind of water body is going to have its own, you know, coloration to it. So while maybe crystal blue comes to mind, I know I live right off the Fox River. The Fox River's natural color is going to be brown. So, I mean, but I think we all kind of go to that crystal blue water. Um, so to have clean water starts in a lot of different directions. It's, it's having healthy shorelines so that we don't have all these pollutants coming into our water, surface waters. Um, it's important for people to keep in mind that those pollutants, whether it's, you know, um, 
oils from your car or any phosphorus in your fertilizers that's then coming into our lakes and rivers is then encouraging all this excessive and nuisance plant growth, which I, you know, I talk to fifth graders and I go, how many people drive by a lake or on a lake and you've got plants that come up right to the surface and you can see them when you drive by in the car? Who wants to swim through that? Who wants to fish on top of those matted areas? Who wants to go ski, water skiing through those areas? And none of the, all those kids know that that's not where you want to be. Um, and, and typically when you have that on a lake, it's because you have invasive species where you have those plants mat out on the surface and cause that anesthetic appealing look. Um, so I think, you know, if I had to pick, paint a picture in my mind, it's to have this lake or river that has, it can have homes all across the shoreline, but to have plants growing along the shore of the water body to help stop those pollutants coming in, to help create those nice clear waterways um, that keeps, well, plants are extremely important to the health of any water body, but to kind of keep them in balance. And, and that's by keeping our surface waters clean, by keeping those pollutants coming in at a minimum. Um, so, yeah. So, it, uh, you know, I've, I've noticed I grew, I actually grew up since I was four years old with a, a cottage on Bear Lake by Manoa, which is in, in Wapaka County. And I can tell you that I can remember you know, when there were spots where there weren't as many homes and where um, and people would, you know, and I understand people want to live on the lake and they want to see everything. But, you know, it's it's important to have some native, some some plants as like buffer so that you're not, you know, having your mowed grass right to the edge of the water or so that there's, there's a, 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 and to have some, Maybe some emergent reeds that aren't all gone, so that there's some, you know, places for some of the things to collect. And the and the and I, you, I'm sure know more about this than I do. But I I I, I appreciate those spaces around these busy lakes that um, you know don't clean it up too good, but yet open it up so that. You know, because I guess the emergent weeds and the emergent things are, are those things that are on the tops of the water. I should say, are um, oh, like too much growth, too much. Is that? I don't know. I, I'm, what do you have to say about? No, that? I, you're really like you're really spot on with what you said. I'm going to say one thing. Pet peeve. I hate it when people call plants weeds. <laughs> Oh, because right. they are, I mean, unless it's an invasive species, they're meant to be there. They have a purpose for that habitat. Um, you know, it's it's just like you're not going to go call, you know, things in the fort, you know, you might call buckthorn a weed in the, in the woodlands or something, but you're not going to go call your maple trees weeds and things like that. Um, but no, right. I mean, I... I wish I had lakefront or riverfront property. I really do. Um, haven't made it that far in my life yet. But, you know, I understand wanting to have this beautiful view of your waterfront. But you can do that in balance and still provide that healthy ecosystem. Um, you know, a little bit of a shameless plug. There's the Healthy Lakes and Rivers grants that help people find that kind of um middle ground of let's plant healthy shorelines and and you know still be able to have this beautiful view of your waterfront but keep it healthy habitat for maybe it's frogs or songbirds or hummingbirds or um, whatever it might be um, with the high water that so many of us are experiencing right now in the midwest those native plants can do so much for the health of your lake, but also for your property line. Um, I don't know how many people, I mean, everything's flooded right now and how many people are having shoreline erosion issues. Um, Kentucky bluegrass is what we all have for our, our grass. And the roots on that, on that grass are only a couple inches. That's as far as they go. So there's nothing there to hold the soil in place. You start planting some of our native flowers, our native shrubs, our native grasses, and those roots can go anywhere from two feet to like 14 feet down. So when you think about all this high water and the wave action that's maybe starting to erode our shorelines, um, that can do a lot to help stabilize. 
The other thing which you mentioned, Mark, was the emergent plants. When you think of maybe bulrushes or cattails or water lilies, to have just some of those along your shoreline will do a lot to absorb any wave energy. That's what they're there for. They're meant, when you think of like a water lily, they'll go up and down in the water column a little bit and they're using that to absorb our wave energy and slow down that water before it hits our shoreline. So, you know, there might be an area where you want to clear it out for your kids and grandkids to play in a, a relatively clean area of your shoreline to go swimming. By all means, go for it. But, you know, if you can preserve some of that natural shoreline, it's going to go a long ways to helping your shoreline and your property, um, you know, stay healthy and, and stay intact, um, but also to help, you know, manage our water and make sure that stays as clean and beautiful as it can as well. Yeah. And if, and if you're into fishing, it helps create more habitat for the, oh, for the fish and more food, food for the fish, you know, so it's, mm-hmm. it's, it, it's, it's definitely an important thing. And, you know, I love being able to get out in a kayak and explore those shallow shorelines um, and, and, you know, see, see those things. And there's so many things that love those shorelines where those native plantings are. I don't know how many times I've been up on, you know, the deer come in and feed on those water lilies. You know, you see spawning beds in those areas. You get to see the fish swimming in and out of those those shallow areas where they're, you know, finding the shade under the lily pads. The frogs and the turtles, you know, um, the, um, like the, the blue herons. I mean, just if you, that's one of the reasons I love nature is you get to see all of that interact. And if you just start putting a little bit of that along your shoreline, if you don't already have it, you'll start seeing more of that wildlife come along. And if that's something you like to see while you're out, maybe sipping your morning coffee on your deck. um, Yeah. It it adds some nice aesthetics to your, your day. I mean, we're literally talking about transitional zones and, and um, that's, where like all or the majority of life exists in the in these edges you talk about it in you know in coastal like you'd say in the ocean mm-hmm. but certainly i mean every bit of shoreline in in wisconsin has these transitional zones between the water and 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 the land and these edges are amazing habitats that we absolutely need to to protect because if you know if you go a little further in and you've got your mowed lawn and you, and and where the water gets really deep you know some, not as much you know lives there so so these these transitional zones i guess right is what they are yeah. i mean i i do a little bit of farming in 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 permaculture they always talk about the the life in the in the transitional zones where um uh, you know between the, the the field and the forest and and the bushes and stuff, so so you're literally doing that kind of stuff along the shorelines as well. And honestly, I didn't even think until I talked with you about this. Now I didn't really connect those, but it's so obvious. Um, once uh, you know, I thought about it, and so really, um, you you probably the most valuable piece of your property, if you're a lake owner, river owner, is that edge. Um, and for uh, for your your wildlife habitat and 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 for, and for um, nurturing nature, I guess mm-hmm. to 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 have more of what you want. It, that that's really the value I think of living living on on, on the water. Um, it, it, even if you're in it for recreation, again, you don't want your like you said, you don't want your um, shoreline to erode, even though you're maybe a water skier. I mean, you you want you want to have um, you know beautiful edges of your of your waterways. So, um, okay. So, can you tell me? A little bit about some of the services. I know we've talked around some of the things that that um, you do with Golden Sands, and but can you mention some of the services through the Aquatic Invasive Species Program that you and Golden Sands offer? Yeah. So, kind of starting um, a little bit of a narrow narrower scope with specifically aquatic invasive species related things. Um, if you have concerns about a new invasive species. 
Um, certainly we can come out and take a look at it. Um, some of these things might overlap with what we do with our grant work. So it may or may not need to be something that's a paid for service. Um, but we can come out, map populations, create maps, um, tell you, you know, how much acreage of something you might have, um, whether it's Eurasian water milfoil, curly leaf pondweed, flowering brush. We can do similar things with wetland um, species. Maybe it's Phragmites, um, you know, purple loosestrife, um, things like that. Then um, some lakes have kind of this mediocre kind of intermediate amount of invasive species. I, there's a handful of lakes that have a very small population of Eurasian water milfoil. It's not enough to do a chemical treatment with, or maybe they're not, um, you know, they don't want to go with an herbicide, um, you know, but there's enough to maybe we can spend a day or two with some um, divers who are trained on the proper way to hand remove Eurasian water milfoil, or maybe um, it's not lakes, maybe it's more a buckthorn along your shoreline that we can offer um, management services that way. Um, so training and removal days, those kinds of things. Um, starting to kind of bridge the gap between invasive species and just, you know, clean water services. Um, we can offer presentations if you have um, a specific recreation group or other organization who is interested in a presentation on clean water or invasive species um, or something more specific. Um, we can come and do a, a presentation on those kinds of topics as well. Um, some lake groups, um, they um, might be doing herbicide treatment for Eurasian water milfoil or curly leaf pondweed um, in order to continue getting permits from the DNR. They need to have an updated what they call an aquatic plant um, survey or a point intercept survey done every five or so years, depending on who they're working with at the DNR lakes biologist. Um, and we can conduct those full lake point intercept surveys so that they have that information to share with the DNR to get updated permits. Um, the other kind of along those lines, um, if people have a lake management plan or aquatic plant management plan that they want updated or pieces of it renewed, um, we can work with them to kind of help them through those management planning efforts. Um, maybe it's writing a, a new lake management plan for that that group. Um, so kind of a whole spectrum of, you know, individual removal work, um, outreach opportunities, all the way up to doing a full lake management plan for an organization or a lake. Um, and then I understand you also offer a clean boats program. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so I probably didn't quite think about that one in the context of the last question um, because it's something we really do a lot more through our grant-related work. So there's oh. the Clean Boats, Clean Waters program. Um, okay. It's something that it really is an initiative that the DNR um, uh, um, the, the DNR is kind of one of the, the DNR's programs. It's not necessarily something the DNR, um, so to speak, runs. UW Extension, along with AIS coordinators such as Golden Sands, offer trainings to either volunteers or there's some lake groups that actually either pay out of pocket or get a DNR surface water grant to help pay for someone to staff their boat landings and have a watercraft inspector. And what those watercraft inspectors for the Clean Boats, Clean Waters program do is they're at the landings just to have discussions and conversations with boaters as they come and go. You know, being that education voice and letting people know, hey, are you aware of aquatic invasive species? You know, are you taking the steps to prevent the spread from one lake to another? Making sure that boaters are aware that it is state law to remove all the water from your boat, whether it's, um, you know, your live well or maybe you've got a cooler that you're hauling fish in. All of that water has to be drained. Um, checking and removing um, any plants, animals or mud that might be on your equipment when you're leaving a water um, waterway. That's Those are steps that are legally you have to take um, and making sure people are aware because the last thing we want people to do is unknowingly, um, you know, leave a lake 
and maybe go to another lake right away and, and move something to another water body. But, you know, if they didn't know that this is a state law, we don't also want somebody to get, you know, pulled over and, and potentially, um, you know, get enforced to take those steps. We want to make sure people are aware before they leave the landing. So we do trainings for volunteer programs and staff-related programs for Clean Boats, Clean Waters. So the first things that you mentioned with working with lake districts and stuff, those, those are programs specifically with Golden Sands that you work with, right? Is that what you – or and then the Clean Boats, Clean Waters is a program that you support that is like a big statewide program. Is that correct? Is that yep. how – yeah, so we um, the Clean Boats, Clean Waters program is a statewide program that we support. We'll offer trainings for. Um, we do that through our state-funded grant. Um, all of the other work we do, some of it, you know, um, the early detection surveys I mentioned before, some of the mapping surveys, sometimes it's because a district or a, a member on a lake asks us to do the service. Um, sometimes it's because... We, we do our best to be in contact with the county and um, the state to know, hey, what lakes have you been on in the last couple of years? What's your work plan for this year? Because we do try to circle through all of our water bodies and make sure that we're kind of giving them all in rotation so that there's not handfuls of lakes here and there that aren't don't have eyes on them for so many years. So we kind of, we do our best to partner and work in tandem with our partners statewide and regionally um, to make sure that eyes are out on the water, that if something is new, we're catching it as soon as possible. Um, so some of it we do because we want to make sure that we're out there. Um, some of it is because somebody, a lake community, a concerned community member or a district, lake district, lake association is contacting us and requesting a service. And some of it is just, you know, state programs like Clean Boats, Clean Waters, um, Snapshot Day is a one-day volunteer outreach event um, that we do as part of our program because they are statewide programs. Um, okay, so can you, there, can you tell me, if, are there any specific programs right now, like on a particular lake or body of water or a particular thing that you're working with that you can share a little bit more detail about how you're helping with them? Yeah, so... Um, trying to think um, what we're all doing right now. Um, so there's a handful of lakes that are specifically in Washera County. Washera County worked with, I think it was UW Extension or UW Stevens Point, I forget which, a few years ago to make sure that all the lakes in Washera County had a lake management plan done. Um, so we're starting to hit that point where those lake management plans, if the lakes want to keep them updated, need to be updated. Um, so I know last year we worked with Gilbert Lake to update their plant point intercept survey, their full lake aquatic plant survey, so that um, they actually had a few individuals on their lake that have experience writing management plans that they're taking on that initiative by themselves, but they needed that survey work. So we worked with them last year. Um, there's a handful of lakes, uh, Mirror and Shadow Lakes, um, up in Wapaka County right in the city of Wapaka have been managing their Eurasian water milfoil and their curly leaf pondweed for a number of years. Um, this last year was kind of unique. They're actually updating their lake management plan as well. They're working with another um, um, outfit to do that, but we've always been in partnership with the Friends of Mirror and Shadow Lakes and the city of Wapaka um, to organize a volunteer day where we do have staff that come out and hand pull that Eurasian water mill foil, um, but they have volunteers that come out and assist and they learn how to properly identify it so that they can do some of this in some shallower areas um, by themselves. Um, other than that, I have one unique project that I've been doing in Green Lake County. Um, I came on in 2017, and this is actually a project that was, the idea was born before I came on board. Um, Green Lake County, Green Lake in Green Lake County is one of, um, one of our natural, I mean, most incredible natural resources in terms of it's an 8,000 acre lake. It's one of I think it's the deepest natural lake in Wisconsin. Um, it's a two-story fishery. It's got traffic that comes from Lake Michigan, Madison, 
um, because of the the size and the the depths and all of the different um, you know many ecosystems that the lake provides. Um, and they have quite the partnership around Green Lake. They have a Green Lake Association that has paid staff, which is fairly unique. Um, the sanitary district is extremely active on Green Lake, um, and they have created a working partnership with the county, Green Lake County and Fond du Lac County, because the watershed of Green Lake, all the area that drains to Green Lake, that's what the watershed is, um, starts, is includes Fond du Lac County, and they have this larger partnership um, with all of those entities. And they are aware that, you know, we need to be aware about invasive species and what can we do to be proactive. We all spend so much money all the time being reactive to invasive species. Oh, we have Eurasian water milfoil. What are we going to do? Are we going to spend money to, you know, to put herbicides in? Are we going to pay to have a harvester come through and keep those plants cut down from the surface? Um, and while they have Eurasian water milfoil and they have zebra mussels, they know that they get a lot of traffic from Lake Michigan. They get a lot of traffic from across the state. Um, so we've been working on developing what we're calling a boat washing station. So if anybody ever goes out west with their boating equipment, they have very strict protocols because they don't have zebra mussels. They have far fewer water resources in the western part of the state, so they need to be very protective about. So typically, if you go to some of these western states, Idaho, Montana, you get into the state boundary lines and you are redirected to go have your watercraft inspected by a state professional and then decontaminated with a hot, heated, high-pressure washer. So we are looking at that and trying to adjust it to where it may be more appropriate for Green Lake setting. Um, and we are actually looking at moving it through with all of the partners in Green Lake County to put a pressure washer at one of the county-owned landings um, to offer these washing services to boats that come in because we want to make sure that new invasive species like spiny water flea and starry stonewort that are, you know, at our back door, they're in Lake Michigan, they're in other um, lakes that aren't all that far of a drive from Green Lake, um, hopefully aren't getting into Green Lake. So we're hoping come 2022, um, we might have a washing station on the ground at one of the county-owned landings in Green Lake. Wow, that would be that'd be awesome. Um, <clears throat> I think there are some pressure wash stations in the Fox Cities, if I remember. So what are some of the new invasive species that we should be on, on the lookout for in our waterways? So that's a really good question, and it kind of all depends on which water bodies you're on. Um, things like Eurasian water milfoil, I know I've mentioned a few times, curly leaf pondweed, I know I've mentioned a couple times. They're fairly prevalent throughout the state. They're not uncommon, at least to say, um, but there are plenty of water bodies throughout Wisconsin that don't have them. Um, same goes for zebra mussels, especially the more northern you get in the state, at least for zebra mussels, the, the less likely that you see them. Um, so there are those invasive species that if you're aware of them, you might have heard these names go around, zebra mussels, Eurasian water milfoil, curly leaf pondweed. But there are, like I said, plenty of places around the state that don't have them. So to continually be on the lookout for those is always a good thing. Don't assume just because, you know, a handful of lakes already have them that they're, you know, 100% widespread throughout the state. So never um, overlook the ones you've, you're aware of. Um, but as I mentioned with Green Lake, um, some of the things we're concerned about there, um, starry stonewort is a relatively new aquatic invasive species that prior to 2014, we weren't really aware of in the state of Wisconsin. Um, and there was a new finding in the, well, in 2014, there was a new finding of it in the southeastern part of the state. And as of 2019, um, we've officially found it in Marquette County. So it had, the DNR and our other partners had found the starry stonewort across southeastern Wisconsin, um, along Door County, um, the Bay of Green Bay, but we hadn't really found it anywhere inland. Um, and as of 2019, um, we've found two locations in central Wisconsin, um, namely Marquette County. So we definitely want to be on the lookout for those 
Um, it is so new that we really don't have a good grasp of how positive or negative it could be in our community, in our water communities. Um, so we're still, we as in the state and all of the partners are still looking to learn a lot about it. Um, what we do know, or rather don't really know, is the best way to management. Um, a lot of our surrounding states, Michigan, Illinois, um, have been dealing with this species for quite a number of years. Minnesota started finding it about the same time we did here in Wisconsin. And so I know that there's a partnership um, where they share information. Um, but from what I've last heard um, through different partner updates is we haven't really nailed down um, what's going to be a good management factor for this species. Um, so once again, proaction, pro, being proactive is the best step here because we don't know what it's going to do once it's introduced or the best way to manage it if it is a problem. Um, and then the other species that's not very common throughout um, Wisconsin, but is certainly around spiny water flea. Um, it's a small organism. Um, it's in the Great Lakes. It's in a number of counties um, in the northern part of the state, Vilas County. It's in the Madison chain of lakes. Um, actually, I believe it's the highest population density in the Madison chain of lakes. Um, and it's, it's very similar to zebra mussels. If you're aware of zebra mussels, they filter out the water. Um, and some people think it's a good thing that zebra mussels filter water, except they're not filtering out the pollutants in the water. They're filtering out the base of the food chain. Um, so our phytoplankton and things like that. And the spiny water flea does the same thing. So those, those species are eating the base of our food chain. It's messing with our fisheries because it's cleaning out so much of the base of the food chain that we are getting clearer water for the first couple of years, but that means the sunlight can penetrate deeper. So we're getting either A, more plant growth, or B, more algae growth. And those typically aren't things we want to see. Um, and with organisms, um, animals, it's hard to manage animals once they get into a water body. So those are two that I'm definitely um, on the lookout for um, when I'm out on different water bodies, they're new and upcoming species, so to speak. Um, but there, there are numbers. We could do a whole session on just invasive species. So I don't want to get too far off tangent. Anna, can you tell me if somebody suspects that they might have uh, invasive species in their waterways, who should they connect with or how can they find out more information to know how they can identify what these invasive species are? Yeah, uh, that's great. We'd rather have a lot of people flood with potentials than have the, oh, it's too late factor going on. So um, you can certainly connect with myself at Golden Sands, my, my coworker, Chris Hamerla. Um, that's namely what we're here for is to be that resource. Um, you can also reach out to any of your county land conservation staff or your local DNR agent. Um you know, if it's something that's a plant or something that's a fixed feature um, and you're not cons not entirely sure, you can always take a picture of it and send it to us um, if you want to just have that initial um, kind of phase. Um, and then we can always make the decision if we need to come and actually physically check. Otherwise, um, maybe you think you have a zebra mussel or a rusty crayfish. Um, go ahead and put it in a baggie and throw it in your freezer until either we can come and check it out or you have an opportunity to drop it at your local maybe county office or DNR office or, or some, some, something like that. So Golden Sands is a great step. Um, even, even if you're listening to this outside the Golden Sands area, um, we can always redirect you to the right person in your region or have that initial check-in and say, oh, no, this is native whatever, you're okay, or go, no, that definitely looks suspicious, this is your local coordinator. So, Right, and I also understand that I'm looking at your uh, Aquatic Invasive Species page on the goldensandsrcd.org website. You have... Um, wow, I mean, I think I see 20, there's like two dozen AIS, which is Aquatic Invasive Species, 
fact sheets that are available on your website. And I didn't actually, until I started researching for this interview, I didn't, I've been on the Golden Sands website, but I didn't go very deep on on the page that I guess you take care of, which is, in, and Chris, which is uh, Aquatic Invasive Species page. So um, can you just, you know, tell us a little bit more about these fact sheets. Yeah, so the fact sheets are a really nice, quick guide um, you know, from common invasive species like Eurasian water milfoil um, and zebra mussels to things that are maybe not quite so familiar, um, Chinese mystery snails, um, flowering rush. Um, it's, it's a one-page document that explains this is the very general, you know, easily identifiable characteristics um, this is kind of where its natural territory is and, and where it's spreading throughout um, the, the region. And then how it's getting spread. Is it getting, um, you know, is it like Eurasian water milfoil where the more it fragments, the more it's able to go reroute somewhere else and, and kind of how it's becoming this invasive problem. And then there's a short section that talks about potential management options. It'll kind of walk you through if there's any biocontrol management or manual management or chemical management. Um, And then at the bottom of every one, there's at least one or two sources that you, that links to um, other places where you can get more information. So it's like a quick guide to give you a one page quick overview of, of what each of these are. So if you like to get out on the water or you have waterfront property, this is, um, you know, it's probably a great idea to actually before as we're coming into our water enjoyment seasons uh, here in Wisconsin, go and check out the Aquatic Invasive Species page at Golden Sands website and just take a look at some of these fact sheets. They're they're actually quite entertaining if you if you if you want to uh, geek out on what these invasive species are that we should be looking at. So I, I appreciate you for putting that information together. And like I said, I didn't. It was an unknown resource to me, and I want to make sure that people in our area uh, know that they can use Golden Sands for that, and and it'll it'll start to. Um, raise your awareness of, of these invasive species and, and what to look out for. So thanks for doing that. Yeah, and so can, if you yeah, really want to get geeky about it, um, certainly feel free to reach out to myself or my coworker Chris, and we can really share more information with you. Those, those quick guides, like I said, are one page, and, and they're free. They're downloadable PDFs. Um, if you really want to, if you really want to geek out on it and have a, a nice little handy go-to book while you're out in the field, um, there's some other resources that are out there and available to you. I don't want to get all into them right now because it's um, it'd be hard to explain in this kind of format. But um, if you really want to get into them, feel free to email us at our info email, and, and we can get some information back to you all. Definitely, uh, it's info at Golden Sands rcd.org is that correct yes it is yep okay info at goldensandsrcd.org okay so if people are there any other volunteer opportunities that you can share with us if people want to want to get involved and help you There's always volunteer opportunities. Um, some of them, you know, if there's something particular you're interested in, um, we can certainly help um, point you in the right direction. Um, but as far as, you know, maybe you're someone who lives on a lake or river or you live close by to one, um, there's some great opportunities to educate yourself about aquatic invasive species and be a, a monitor for that water body. Um, and we can educate and train you on how to do that. That's really great volunteer opportunities. And it and it's a, you're becoming an advocate for your one of your favorite water bodies. Um, so that's probably something that I think is really beneficial to you and your community and your lake. Um, there's always other opportunities. Um, sometimes um, we're working with specific groups to do a, a buckthorn removal day or an Eurasian water removal day. Um, and we volunteers are always welcome to those kinds of events. Um, and people can find out about them by visiting the website, I assume? 
Yeah, visiting the website. If there's anything in particular that's going on, we usually have it on our homepage, um, advertising, highlighting things that are coming up. Um, if you're looking for just kind of general opportunities to get involved, um, we do have, um, you know, a get involved tab on our website that you can, you know, submit your information to. And as there's um, things that align with your interest, we'll reach out to you. Otherwise, you know, if you're really focused on the aquatic invasive species stuff, like I said, we can do a training and education for aquatic invasive species monitoring, um, get you set up with clean boats, clean waters programs. Um, one of our really big events that's just a one-day event, we do Snapshot Day. Um, it's partnered with River Alliance and UW Extension. It's This year, it's going to be Saturday, August 21st. Um, it's a four-hour event on a Saturday. We, we get together and we talk about invasive species that are regionally important that we want to be on the lookout for. Quick, how do I ID them? Um, and then we actually have our volunteers, if they're comfortable, go out to our lakes and rivers and see if they find any invasive species there, um, collect them, bring them back, and we go over what they found. Um, and it's kind of one of our, our efforts to get people out on the, out on the, um, out on the landscape and have their eyes open. Um, and if they find stuff that maybe we weren't aware of, it helps us find those new populations that then we can in turn, you know, turn around and do something about. So, um, snapshot day, if you Google that in partnership with River Alliance, you'll find some quick information there too. Um, wonderful. And I know we are, our group, uh, Common Roots Rising is planning a river cleanup. We're, we're partnering with the Fox, with, um, Fox Wolf Watershed Alliance I know the noticed early or late winter, early spring when actually it was late winter when they started promoting their cleanup sites. There weren't any in Wapaka County, and I said, "Hey, I'll reach out and let's do something on the Wapaka River and the upper watershed yeah. for the, the Wapaka." So I know that you are planning to come out and join us on May first at Barrens Bridge Park at, in Wapaka, and you can if anybody has. Uh, you know, we're hoping we had a lot of a beautiful day, and we have a lot of volunteers, and we're primarily going to be picking up trash. But we're also, uh, with Anna being with us, is we're, she'll have the opportunity to educate us. So you can come with questions about what's going on in our waterways, especially in Wapaka County. Uh, for the, for those of you that show up for that event, so um, we uh, look forward to that coming up soon. So, Anna, is, is there anything else that you would like to share with us today about your work with Golden Sands as an Aquatic Invasive Species Coordinator? Yeah, I think first and foremost, um, if you ever have any questions or concerns, don't ever hesitate to reach out to us, whether it's me specifically or our info um, email address, Golden Sands really is here to be a resource for the community. Um, we're trying to help individuals and organizations kind of meet the bridge, uh, bridge the idea of sustainability and also, you know, economic growth. So if you have concerns or are interested in more information about what you're doing with uh, on your property or along your shoreline, um, feel free to reach out to us. If you're concerned about you know, an invasive species or something along those lines, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Um, and I guess just as a final note, aquatic invasive species focus specific, um, you know, prevention is the key to invasive species, slowing the spread of invasive species. We want to be proactive. We need to be proactive. So please make sure when you're leaving your lakes and rivers, um, I'd say this summer, but really if anybody's out today, it's so been so nice out Make sure you're checking your equipment over, um, making, making sure all your water is drained. Um, even if you know, you know, oh, I know what Eurasian water milfoil is. I know that's not what this is. You never know what's attached to those plants that may be native. Um, so just making sure that your equipment is clean and dry before you, before you leave and, and you'll help be part of the solution. So thank you for all of your efforts out there on the water. Thank you very much for joining us today, and you can find out more uh, at goldensandsrcd.org. 
and also you can follow them on Facebook where they share a lot of great information. So we look forward to learning more about our aquatic invasive species in central Wisconsin. So thank you again. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Common Roots Rising. You can learn more about how we are cultivating community at commonrootsrising.org.